Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Good morning, New City. I, uh, I've mentioned this to a couple people, but uh, City Church got the better end of this deal. I'm sorry, but you got me today. So next week, uh, Pastor John will be back, and um, actually Brad Schmidt um, is going to be with him. And I'm going to raise this a little bit. Um, Brad Schmidt is going to be with him, and uh, he's going to be sharing uh, the third part of this series, uh, this Advent series that we're going through together. I love being able to do this with um, other churches. This is something that we, we really love because, um, as I just heard mention, as God's blended family, uh, there are things that uh, are, we're, we're, we're different in lots of ways, and yet the gospel brings us together, and so we're thankful for that. And, uh, and so our, our second um, Sunday of Advent, so Advent means coming, and so as we are God's people reflecting on uh, when Christ came uh, the first time, so this, this season is as we reflect on this, we are longing for and look for the promise that God will come again. So today, um, the, the topic is going to be, I think it's on the screen, Jesus, our light out of Revelation 21. So I'm going to read a couple scriptures out of Revelation 21, um, but then we're going to go back, and I'll explain this in just a second, but we're going to look at at a narrative of scripture. So uh, let me read this. In Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to start uh, with verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse 22 through 27. I'm going to read this out of the ESV. And then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 22 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp uh, lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who has done what is detestable or false, or who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Pray with me. Father, um, we, we do ask that you would bless the reading of your word, the proclamation of your word, I pray that you would show us, show us today the light that we are truly longing for. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. One of the things I love about this time of year, uh, even when I walked in this room this morning, one of the first things that I noticed as I got on stage, I looked back and I saw the Christmas tree. I saw the lights on the tree. Um, that's one of the things that I love so much about this time of year, Christmas lights that light up the night, right? No matter where you go, uh, there are houses and apartments and businesses and stores that show their Christmas cheer by turning on light. In the iconic scene of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, if you remember Clark Griswold loaded up his house with 25,000 incandescent bulbs. Uh, So much light that it actually shut the city down. Um, When I was a kid, when I saw that scene, I laughed. It was really funny to me. But I was jealous. Because I I saw those lights on the house. That's what I wanted. I wanted wanted to have the house with the most lights on the block. We never did. We still don't. But um, 
when I looked at how much it would cost to actually uh, do that as I became a, a, an adult, I, I figured that that's probably something I needed to shut down. But even now, our family uh, takes a yearly nighttime drive across town um, in Pompano Beach, right behind the Flanagan's off Atlantic, if you know anything about it, there is a house in a neighborhood where this one family lights up the entire neighborhood. You, you like drive into the neighborhood and you can kind of see a glow because this one house just outshines them all. And it actually has kind of caused a competition on the street, if you can imagine. I love light. My kids love light. This week, we're looking at this aspect, this, this second aspect of our series uh, last week, I believe uh, Pastor John spoke on Jesus, our hope. Today, we're going to be on Jesus, our light. And I just want to focus. Now, there's a great lot of things that we can look at in this particular text, but I just want to look at this one line in Revelation 21. It's in verse 23, and it says this, for the glory of God gives it light. For the glory of God gives it light. Now, when I was a kid, I was raised with the Bible in my home. I had the scriptures, I would read these scriptures, and I would read Revelation 21, I'm going to tell you, I didn't like it. See, the fact is, I love the sun, and I love the moon, and the scriptures tell us that there will be no sun and moon because we won't need it. Well, I didn't, I didn't really appreciate that. How many of you like to go and see a sunrise? I don't like to get up that early, but I like to see them. I like to see your pictures of them. I love to see, I love to see a sunset. I mean, we will drive to the other side of Florida just so that we can watch the sun go down, right? I know people who have watched the sun rise on this side of Florida, drive over, have dinner, and watch the sunset on the other side. I love to go down to Key West and at Mallory Square, they have the, the big sunset celebration and everybody goes crazy when the sun goes down. I love the moon. I love to go out. My kids will walk out and we'll see the moon and that's one of the things I love. So when I read this scripture as a kid, I, I just didn't understand this. This is something I didn't, like it just didn't appeal to me and I didn't understand it until I started to understand the word glory. Mm, that's good. This word glory changes everything. But in order to understand it, now, now Pastor John talked about you will be doing a reading plan uh, this year. And I want you to really dig into that reading plan because if you... If you understand that when you see something like the word glory in Revelation 21, you know that's not the first time that word's ever shown up, right? So in order to understand where it, where, how it's used in, in chapter 21 of Revelation, we need to go back and find out what that word meant maybe near the beginning. And so I want to take you through, and I've got like 20 minutes to do it, I, I want to take you through in a narrative of the scriptures to show you the, what the glory of God is about. So that when we see it in Revelation 21, it might help. This word glory. Um, this overarching story in the Bible uh, is a story that will, you'll find themes. You'll see things that will pop up and you'll go, I mean, I've seen this word several times. So glory is one of those. In Exodus chapter 16, now, now if you remember in the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus is about uh, how God rescued his people from Egypt. Right? The people of Israel were in bondage, in darkness in Egypt. They were in slavery, and they, they cried out to God in the darkness, God, come 
be for us what we could not be for ourselves. And so God comes in with his rescue plan. He leads them out of Egypt and leads them to the land that he promised them. So in fulfilling the promises that he made in Genesis, he was now bringing his people to start fulfilling those promises as he took them out of this land into another. Now, while they were in their journey in the wilderness, because they traveled in the wilderness for about 40 years because they kept forgetting and, and not acting on the promises of God, and so they, they were just wandering around I'm sure we don't know what that's like, but, but they were doing this. And so as we get to um, Exodus 16, it says that God showed up to them in a cloud. God came to them in the form of a glory cloud, a bright cloud. In the daytime when the sun was out, it probably looked like a normal cloud. But at night, when the sun went down, it was a pillar of fire. And it went before them. So when this glory cloud uh, went before them, uh, there was a place where the glory cloud was really significant. Uh, you know that in, uh, in Exodus, it's where Moses got the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so what, when he was at Mount Sinai, the glory cloud came down and covered it. Well, when the glory cloud came and covered the mountain, um, it, it says all kinds of things. It was, uh, the mountain literally shook. There was the voice of God. There was fire and smoke. And there was this warning that anybody that touched the mountain would die. Okay. So while Moses is on the mountain, from Exodus 25 through 40, God spends most of the time telling Moses about how he is going to take this experience that Moses is having at Sinai, and he says, I want to take this experience of being with you and being with the people, and we're going to do this um, in the form of a tabernacle. And so he explains to them the way that God is going to be present with his people. You're going to build a tabernacle, you're going to build ultimately a temple, and it, all these things about what the temple needs to look like. It's going to be the centerpiece of their lives. It's going to be the visible expression of God's glory among the people. And right in the middle of this, God tells Moses that, well, while I'm telling you what's going to happen, you know they're down at the bottom of the mountain trying to find some other glory. They're trying to build some kind of glory for themselves. And so God tells Moses, I'm going to give you everything you want. I'm not, I'm, I'm not just going to, uh, I'm just not going to be with you. I'm going to give you military and political power and success. I'm going to give you land and prosperity, but I'm not going to be with you. And, and Moses, by the way, I think a lot of people consider this a dream religion. Think, what, think about what this means. You get all the help you want, you get all the money you want, you get all the power you want, but you don't have to do all the work of drawing near to God and examining yourself and making sure that, you, you just make sure that your life revolves around you. Man, people in South Florida would love this kind of religion, wouldn't they? Get, get everything you want and don't have to worry about God. Man, that, that sounds like a dream to a lot of people. The setup God offers Moses in Israel is what most people want. Maybe they believe in God, they want help from God, but they don't want this, that every, everything in their lives to revolve around him. They don't want him right in the middle of their lives. They just want him available in their lives. And that's many of us, right? Most people who have some concept of God don't believe he's the goal of life, but a means to a goal. So God tells Moses, I'm going to send you, I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm not going to be with you. And Moses says, nope, I'm not going to, we can't, no. He knew, he knew better. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. Here's what he's saying. If we don't have your glory, if we don't have your presence, it's just best if we die. So God offers to give them everything that they needed, but Moses knew that they ultimately needed him. 
And so here's what Moses did. So Moses says, no, don't send us from here unless you go with us. And so God agrees to this. But then Moses, you know, when you start asking things from God and God begins to give you, he answers your prayers. But Moses was getting his prayer answered, so he got a little more bold. In Exodus 33, if you remember the story, Moses, after he had negotiated for the people of God, he swings for the fence. He says, do this, show me your glory. I've asked you for it, but can you, sh- can you show me the whole thing? It's like, let me, you know the glory cloud that was there? He said, can I, let me stick my head in the cloud. Let, let me get a good look at your glory. And uh, remember what, what God says to him? See, Moses was saying, wait a minute. If, if what I see in the world that's so beautiful, every, every ocean, every diamond, every star, ev- everything that's beautiful, if, if what would it be like to, to absolutely see the glory, the beauty of God? What would that be like? Maybe everything that I've ever seen that I thought was beautiful and glorious would, it's a mere reflection of what's truly beautiful and glorious. See, he was realizing that it's only in the face of God, the glory, glorious presence of God, the deepest longings of the human soul can be fulfilled. It's actually seeing the face of God looking at us in love, the only set of eyes in the world that really matter, loving us. That's the light we're looking for. That's the thing, that, that we cosmically and eternally matter, that God loves us that much. So when Moses said, show me your glory, God said no. God said no. And here's why. He said you can't handle it. See, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let it. He said, I'm going to put you, you, you can't see my glory and live. So I'm going to put you, because that's the thing, is that he was wanting his glory to be with them, but he said, you're, you can't see it like this. There's, there's a way that it's, you're going to see it, but there's going to be a way that it's hidden. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to let my glory pass by you and I'm going to describe it to you. And so Moses gets in the cleft of the rock, and it says the hand of God covers him up, and the glory of God passes by, and in Exodus 34, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed this. Now listen to this. The Lord, the Lord. What does God look like? He's describing it. Here it is. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? He's describing himself, and he says, God, it, got, it is attention. I am forgiving, and I will never, ever, ever let sin go unpunished. I am absolutely loving, and I'm absolutely just. It's not a contradiction. It's attention. The glory or light of God is in his loving kindness and in his justice, okay? So I know we're like, where are we going with this? Well, when we understand that this is the description of God's glory, he's describing what his glory is. It's both fully loving, fully just. It is fully merciful, and it fully will take care of sin. How does this happen? How do we live in this tension? The Advent promise that was read earlier for us in Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So for thousands of years, though God's presence with, was with them, they never really understood how God's glory, his goodness, and his justice would come together. Now I'm going to take you to one more scene, and then I'm going to tell you what this, what this means. In Matthew 17, we have a scene where Jesus is on a mountain, 
and he's transfigured. And while the transfiguration, he's, he's on a mountain, he, and, and, and the, the disciples, they get to see it. There's a couple of them, Peter, James, and John. And as they're there looking up, they see Jesus, and they look, and they see Elijah and Moses with him. So think about this. Moses is now at, at this place with Jesus, and, and something happens. We hear God's voice again. Moses is there. Jesus is there. The glory cloud is there again. But what's the difference? There, there's, there's something incredibly different. The infinite and comparable glory of God, the, this brilliance is now coming from a person. It's coming from Jesus himself. So the glory cloud that existed and, 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 and hovered over Sinai from Moses was now hovering from Jesus. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Hebrews 1.3, the writer says this, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That means Jesus Christ is the insurpassable expression of the overwhelming, infinite, shattering beauty and importance and glory of God. Jesus is the glory cloud that hovered over Sinai. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory in human form. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and dwelt, so this was the presence of God among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So through Jesus Christ, we can now see the glory and beauty of God that Moses wasn't allowed to see. Like the fact that the writers catch this and they go, it's in Jesus. The thing that Moses was asking for, it's actually found in Jesus, but here's the thing. It's also in Jesus that the description that, that Moses was given by God in Exodus 34 was fully met in the person of Jesus. This, this Hebrew word for glory, it literally means weight. It means something permanent versus something passing. It means something substantial. The important versus something, something unimportant. When it talks about God's glory, it's talking about something uh, that's permanent, something that's real, that's something that truly matters. When something heavy is dropped into something with less weight, it causes the smaller thing to shake or move or break because one has more glory than the other. So when the reality of God comes into your life, there's no way that it can't change something around. It, doesn't, it has to shake things up. When we see the glory of God come down in the Bible, it always was accompanied by lots of earthquakes and fire and smoke. In Exodus 19 at Sinai, in Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, um, Anybody who gets anywhere close to the presence of God begins to feel the, the, the moral weight because we're sinners, we're flawed, we're finite. The, in, the infinity and glory and holiness of God, our being can't bear his being. We were built and created originally to see him and to know him, to see his beauty and glory, but now we can't because of our sin. And so way back in the Old Testament, that's why the tabernacle was given. God was saying, I, I, I'm going to dwell in the midst of my people, but I don't want to kill them. So what did they do? So in Exodus, this was the thing that Moses was given, the, the plans to build this thing. They built a tabernacle. It was a big tent. In the center of the tent was a smaller 
portion called the Holy of Holies. In the temple, the same, same thing, the Holy of Holies. And that is where the glory cloud dwelt. But here's the thing. It was safe and it was shielded. There was a big veil that hung over it. So there was a way that people could not actually get into it. So like once a year, the high priest would go in. But the people could not go in because of their sin. It was there behind the veil. And outside were all the other outer courts. But inside the veil, there, there were the sacrifices and altars and priests doing all these things. But what was the tabernacle for? It was shielding the people from encountering the glory cloud of God because they couldn't handle it. But what did Jesus do? So, so the, the, the people who walked in darkness saw a great light. Jesus comes we know his story. In the Gospels, we see that he comes and he declares the good news of the kingdom of God. He goes to a cross. He, he lives a life fully that we should have lived but didn't. He died the death that we deserved. He died the death in our place. Our sin was placed on him. It's the good news of the gospel. And on, on the cross, Jesus, as he's taking on our sin and our shame and our guilt, he declares, it is finished. Both Matthew and Mark say something significant happened when he declared it is finished. Do you remember what happened in the temple with the Holy of Holies? The veil was torn in two. The veil, the, the, the big heavy curtain that was separating the people from the glory of God was now torn in two. When he says it is finished, he is saying, I have completed the way in. I've built the real tabernacle, the real pathway in that Moses was just creating a symbol Jesus is the glory of God, and he is the way to the glory of God. Jesus is the true tabernacle, the true temple. He's the true curtain. Jesus is the one who shields you from the glory of God, and yet through his sacrifice, he lets you see in to the glory of God. He pays for your sins so that now the very glory that used to be fatal to us can now come into our lives. The Bible actually tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the glory of God now is, is residing in us as God's people. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because of what Christ has done. You see, the beauty of this is that we get, to, we get to look through the narrative of Scripture and we get to read the story of Moses and it's not separate from the story that we get to live now. You know, understand this. Where did we see, where did we see Exodus 34 actually play out? Let me read it to you again. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and yet, who will punish the guilty? It's in the cross. Jesus is both the just and the justifier. How could this tension exist? It's in Jesus. In Jesus, we have one who God absolutely must punish sin, but yet who comes for us and says, I will take it myself. He, he came to be the ultimate perspective of the glory of God. It's who we see the glory of God in. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we read in Revelation 21, that in, in, at the end of all things, there will be light a light that actually gets rid of every other light. But do you know that we actually, as God's people in his kingdom now, we get to experience that right now. It's, it's every other light 
points to this light. I was, um, yeah, it's the light we need. I was driving back. Uh, my, my son was bringing him on the other night from his, uh, one of his classes. And as we drove into our neighborhood, I pulled in. I saw, I saw one little house with a fence. And somebody had put one little strand of lights along the fence. And I was in a particularly sarcastic mood. And I, as I was driving, I go, looks like they went all out. Tiny little strand, huge fence, tiny little strand of lights. And I drove by it, and I got home, and I thought, in that dark street, my eyes were so drawn to that light. That tiny little strand. It's still light. In the middle of the darkness, on a stretch of road where there's no other lights, this one caught my eye, and as I reflected on this week, Even that light means so much to me. And it is only because it points me to ultimate light. Do you know light is God's idea? Do you remember this is the first thing God said? God said in Genesis 1, let there be light. And at the very end in Revelation 21, he says, now here's here's why I created light. Every light that you see, I want you to do do me a favor this, this week. As you're driving around, you look at Christmas lights, you see them. Everywhere you see them, you look at a light beautiful lights on that tree, and you go, that's beautiful light, but it only exists to point me to a greater light. Every Christmas light that's beautiful is really pointing to the ultimate light, the ultimate Christmas light when Jesus returns. This is the light we really need, so may this Advent season point you to Jesus, the true light of the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.